The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. We read a lot about this week being Holy Week, and uh, of course the reference is to the week leading up to Easter Sunday, which is next Sunday. In truth, every week ought to be Holy Week to us, and and certainly while there's a great emphasis on um, on the cross and the crucifixion in the denominational world this week, we need to remember that that ought to be our emphasis every week. And if you're not hearing that preached from your pulpits, then somebody's not got the right focus. So tonight, I want to go back to our series on the Gospel of Mark and Coincidentally, we're at the point in the Gospel of Mark where the road to Calvary has gotten steeper and faster, if you will. It's kind of like an hourglass. If you notice, in an hourglass, when you start it and it's full, it looks like the sand's just trickling out. And as it gets, as it gets less and less sand in it, it, it seems as if it's pouring out, speeding. It's in reality going the same speed, but it just looks that way. And this is where we are in the life, the earthly life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're at the point where the sands in the hourglass are speeding toward their destination. You know, I wish we could just start in 14 and do chapter 14 and chapter 15 and chapter 16 all in one message, but there's no way. There's just too much here. So tonight, I want us to look at one aspect and one account from chapter 14, and, 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 and we'll see it as we begin reading in verse 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he said at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some there that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always, and whensoever ye will, ye may do them good, but me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Tonight, I want us to look for a few minutes at this alabaster box of service. The alabaster box of service. Now remember what we said already. We're beginning the final days of Jesus' earthly life. If, if my calculations are correct, and I don't hold them out as being absolute here, it appears that it's, well, it says it's two days till Passover, which means it's, it's approximately Wednesday of the week before the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice the first two verses here. It says, 
There's two days left of the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And here the chief priests, the religious authorities, are seeking how they might plot his death. How they are plotting the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. They hated him so much that they were willing to take him by craft and put him to death. That word by craft there means by deceit or through a snare or using bait. Somehow figuring out a way that they can take him but because they were afraid of the people they didn't want to do it openly and i also find it kind of funny it says it says uh in verse two they said not on the feast day lest there be an uproar of the people guess when jesus was taken <laughs> on the feast day they couldn't even get this right <laughs> he was our passover he we're told in first corinthians he is Christ, our Passover. And by the way, that's the reference here. This is the feast of the Passover. We're not going to go into it tonight, but sometime turn back and read chapter 12 of Exodus, and you'll read about the institution of the Passover service. And you know, you know the, the, the most important thing you can glean from that is that, that the death angel came upon those in the nation of Egypt, but when he saw the blood, he passed over that house. You know what that tells us? When God, the, who is the God of wrath, God is a God of judgment. God's wrath is sure and certain. God's justice is perfect. God's judgment is exact. But when he sees the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ applied to one, he will pass over that one. You know why? Because God doesn't believe in double jeopardy any more than our legal system does. You know what double jeopardy says? It says that if you've once paid for a sin, if you've once paid for a crime, you won't have to pay again. <laughs> you know, that's, in our, that's a principle of our law. You can't punish somebody twice for the same thing. Jesus Christ paid the sin debt for every single one of his people. That's why I believe in the specific application of the, of the, the, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people. He didn't pay the sin debt for all the world and therefore there's some in hell whose sins have been paid for but yet who are still in hell. Beloved, he, he, God doesn't believe in double jeopardy any more than we do. Once a sin is paid for, it's been paid for, and that blood has been applied, and praise God, he passed over those in that household whose blood, where the blood had been applied. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ, that's showing forth the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what's coming here. They're about to observe the Passover feast, and later that night, the Lord Jesus Christ will be taken. He'll be taken and ultimately crucified during that Passover weekend. So let's look at the next account here, this account of the woman and her box of ointment, her alabaster box of ointment. To break it down, let's look at the scenario first. I like to look at the details because sometimes it's interesting to me to, uh, to see who all the interrelationships and, and who's involved in this. I think, that's, I think that gives it, God told us these things for a reason, and it gives us some insight into what's going on. Notice it said that he was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper. Now, by the way, Simon is no longer a leper. <laughs> we know that because he wouldn't be in this house if he were. He wouldn't have a house, and it wouldn't be a place where Jesus could go because under the laws of the day, he would have to be separate. This is, some, this is a leper that the Lord Jesus Christ has healed. This is a leper who now has a home, is back at home, if you will, and has a place 
to, 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 for the Lord Jesus Christ to come and feast. Now, this account is given to us in three of the Gospels. It's given to us in Matthew, the 26th chapter, and John, the 12th chapter, as well as here in Mark, chapter 14. Over in John, the 12th chapter, the first eight verses deal with this uh, same scenario. And, and, and you need to remember something else about this. Remember what happened in John, chapter 11? In John chapter 11, that whole chapter is about the, 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 the death of Lazarus and Jesus raising him from the dead. And immediately after that, in chapter 12, it goes into this account, which tells us in verse 1, six days before the Passover came Jesus to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. So Lazarus is involved here, and it says there, it doesn't say that it happened six days before the Passover, but there at that house, according to this, it was two days before the Passover. So uh, the harmony of the Gospels is clearly preserved here. It says there they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. So we find out that there's a relationship here of some sort between Martha and Mary and Lazarus and this man Simon who had been a leper. Now I don't know, it doesn't specifically tell us that it was Mary and Martha's house, but it's possible, I suppose, that Simon, some have, uh, some have supposed that Simon was their father. I don't know if that's true or not, but in, in whatever way, it doesn't really matter. The Lord didn't tell us that, but just understand that this man, Simon, was, had a relationship with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They knew each other, and they were at this house at this time serving. And you notice once again, Martha, Martha's serving. <laughs> Martha's serving. We, we might turn back over here in a minute, but I'm not sure. But back over in the, the book of Luke in the 10th chapter, we read about Martha and Mary again. And now I want you to notice something else that we're told. In verse 3, this woman who had the alabaster box, who broke it and, and anointed the Lord Jesus Christ with it, was Mary. This woman was Mary. Verse 3, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. You remember sweet Mary? You remember Martha in chapter 11? Martha comes to the Lord Jesus Christ after, after Lazarus dies and Jesus doesn't get there on time according to their timetable. He's not there when he should be. And Martha says, Martha comes running to him and she, uh, uh, she, she sort of confronts him. She, she comes to him and, and, um, and said, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know now, you can even now, whatsoever you ask of God, God will give it to you. And, and apparently she had a kind of a, uh, confrontational air about her the Lord in fact gives her some uh, instruction here he doesn't doesn't really show her much compassion it doesn't seem he gives her some instruction but you remember Mary Mary comes on later on on scene and it says she rose up hastily in verse 31 said when she came to where he was she fell down at his feet and said lord if thou hadst been here my brother had not died she says it differently by the way you know how we know that because it says in the very next verse that jesus saw her weeping when jesus saw her weeping he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and asked her to take him to where lazarus had been laid this is this is that Martha and Mary, that Martha who was cumbered about with much serving in Luke chapter 10. 
That Martha who looked over there into the other room while she was serving the Lord Jesus Christ and His disciples, and she sees her sister, Mary, sitting at His feet and listening to Him. And Martha gets upset and comes to Him and says, Lord, aren't you concerned that, that my sister's sitting here not helping me? You know what Jesus said to her? He said, Martha, you're cumbered, you're, you're, you're cumbered with many things. He said, but... Mary hath chosen that good part that can't be taken away from her. Here we see these same two again. We see Martha serving, but we see Mary choosing that good part. Now look, it's not wrong to serve. We ought to be serving one another. We ought to be serving the Lord. We ought to be working in the church. I appreciate the way you ladies worked so hard to provide the meal last week. Some of you men worked on it as well that's important but but the labor in the in the in the church is not the focus of what we're to be doing in the church we have work to do in the church but the primary purpose of the church is to worship the Lord Jesus Christ we're not here to just work you know so many denominational churches out there will work you to death there's one committee for this and another committee for that, another group for this thing and that thing over there going on and constantly in a building project of some sort. Listen, I'm so thankful for the building that we have, but I'm so glad it's over. <laughs> I'm glad we're not building. I'm not looking to expand our campus. I'm not looking to build bigger buildings. I'm just looking for a better way to serve and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. You know the best way? To do it like he said do it. Gather together. All of us, of all ages, all groups, and focus upon what he's done for us. I think it's important that I preach to you about your duties. I think it's important. Brother Buddy's been preaching a series on the duties of church members, and praise God for it. He's, he, I'm thankful, looking forward to hearing the next message in that series if the Lord leads him that way. But, that, but you'll notice that when he preaches about that, he never, he never focuses only about that. He always explains to us that the reason we have that duty is because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. This sweet Mary came once again choosing that good part, that part that would put her closest to the Lord Jesus Christ. And one other character in this saga here that we read about in John, the 12th chapter. You know, in, in the 14th chapter of Mark, we read about several people who had indignation about her breaking this box and pouring out its expensive contents. And they spoke up, we're told, someone did, and we're told in John chapter 12 who it was. In verse 4 it says, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, is the one who spoke up. So this Simon, where they were, was the home of Judas Iscariot. This feast was taking place at Judas' home. And Judas is the one who spoke up and said, why wasn't this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? And we'll come back to that in a minute. But I just want to set the stage for you. Notice that Simon, if not, I, I don't think we can say for sure if he was, you know, a, a blood relative of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but he was known to them. And Simon's son, Judas Iscariot, 
and Mary and Martha and Lazarus were friends, you might say. They, they were acquaintances. They knew each other living in the same city and in the same community. Now, let's look at what happened. Let's look at what happened. Notice back in chapter 14 of Mark, it says, As he sat at me, there came a woman, this is Mary, having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And we're told in John chapter 12 that she also poured it on his feet and wiped his feet with her hair. Notice what a sacrifice it took for her to serve him as she ought. It took great sacrifice to serve him on this day. She didn't just take the box and carefully open the lid and, and, and try to preserve the contents and preserve the box and, and somehow maybe hang on to enough to tide her over to some other time. She broke the box. Now, I don't know about this box, what it what it was or how expensive it was. It clearly had some significance to her. And, and listen, we're going to see, uh, according to what uh, Judas asked, he says this, this ointment might have been sold for more than 300 pence. 300 pence. You know how much 300 pence was in that day? That was about one year's wages. She didn't just go out and pick this up on the street and say, oh, I see a nice box here for some ointment. I'm going to buy it and bring it back and give it to Jesus. She would have had to save up. She would have had to hoard this up, if you will. She would have had to hold on to that. Maybe not just her. Maybe it was a family heirloom. I don't know. Maybe the family had, had been building this up for some time. Maybe it was something her grandfather started or her father started. But whatever it was, it was very costly. And she didn't have any hesitation she esteemed the service for Christ greater riches than this ointment or this box. Beloved, true Christian service requires sacrifice. And we don't have to come in here and bring a big box full of ointment and throw it down on the floor and please don't do that. <laughs> that means Miss Peggy and Sister Tina and others, they're going to have to clean it up. <laughs> and and, and, and they'd, probably, they'd probably revolt about that and make some of us men come in here and clean it up. If they pour out a bunch of, a bunch of cologne on the floor, don't do that. <laughs> See, that's not what we do today. But you know what we do today? Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable service. You know, we may not have an alabaster box filled with ointment, but we've got a body, which is the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've got a body that we can go out and sacrifice on the altars of the idols of this world. We've got a body that we can use to our own, on our own lusts and our own desires. Or we've got a body that we can sacrifice in order to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. You know how you do that? Well, one way is you're doing it right now. There's a lot of other things you could be doing out there. This is March Madness, by the way. <laughs> I'm not a big basketball fan, but some of you are. You could be glued to the TV right now watching. I think Alabama even plays in a few minutes, Brother Lance. But, uh, but I'm going to preach till 8 o'clock just, just to see how dedicated you are. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that, I promise. <laughs> but seriously, we could go out and we could do anything besides this. But we have sacrificed to come here. 
Now, <clears throat> you sacrifice every time you make the effort to get up out of bed and to, or to do, put aside things of the world and come to the house of the Lord. You know how else you sacrifice? You sacrifice when you put down, you know, it's, it's so easy, it's so easy for us to say, well, I, you know, I've got a short temper. I, I'm sorry, I was just born that way. Well, so was I. <laughs> I was too. And, and I have a short temper sometimes, and I, I have to deal with that. But, but I, don't, I can't hide behind my own depravity. <laughs> we like to do that, don't we? We like to say, well, I just, you know, what, what do we, what's the old saying? The devil made me do it. Yeah, the devil made me do it. No, the devil didn't make you do anything. <laughs> you may have been tempted by the devil. You may have succumbed to the devil's temptations, as I have many times. You may have lived and, and, and sought after the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But every time we sacrifice, every time we mortify our members which are in the flesh, we are sacrificing for the service of the Lord. I, I've found myself, especially lately, struggling with, I wouldn't say it's an addiction, Brother Buddy, but my iPad, I, I do so much work on my iPad. Most everything I do in my secular job now is, is via that iPad. And, I'll, and so I find myself, I get, these, I get these notices once a week, you know, at the beginning of every week, said, your screen time has increased this week. You know, your average days, you know, you spent 15 hours a day. On, I mean, not that many, I promise. But, you know, it's, it's, and it's so convicting to me because I know most of that time I'm spending looking and reading cases and that sort of thing. But there's times, you know, there's some little games on here that are pretty interesting, aren't they? They're pretty neat to play. I said, oh, boy, I, you know, I can get in there and just, you know. I remember when I was taking Brother Warren to, uh, uh, to dialysis. It's a four-hour dialysis you so we drive up there and then i just sit out in the car for four hours while he was in in dialysis and uh and and people were feeling sorry for me they said, oh you're doing such your sacrament no i was playing candy crush you know i was playing i was having i was on there playing uh uh whatever it is that words with friends or whatever it's like boy this is neat you know it's four hours already doggone it i was nearly done you know but seriously it's it's so easy isn't it i wouldn't I wasn't playing games the whole time, I promise. I was actually getting some work done. But, uh, but, but, but you see how easy it is to let the world intrude. But you know what? We sacrifice in our service for him when we put those things aside and we think about and focus on what the Lord has done for us. What about instead of the screen time, at least the screen time on non-scriptural things, what about just having that online Bible and reading? Or, or bringing your Bible and reading, spending time in, in, in reading the Word of God and prayer. Boy, that's one that gets me all the time, prayer. I hope I maintain an attitude of prayer most of the time. But as far as just stopping and going into my prayer closet and closing the door and getting down on my knees, it's so hard to do that. I say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find time to do it today. Don't say that because you'll never find the time. Say, I'm going to make time to do it. I'm going to make time to spend time. I'm going to, look, it's sometimes you say, I don't have that. Listen, spend five minutes. Spend ten minutes. You don't have to start out spending two hours. Spend the, you know, just make it a point to say, I'm going to be in prayer to the Lord. I'm going to be reading the Word of God. This, this year, I haven't done this. I've never done it following a plan. But this is the first year I've tried to follow a read the 
Bible through in a year plan. And, and, and I've, tried to, I've tried to do that. I've read through the Bible several times, but I've never followed a daily plan to do it. This year I said, I'm going to do it this year. I got one from McClenney, Florida, Elder Michael Green down there, uh, published one, and I printed it out, and I keep it with me. And, and so, uh, so, so recently, um, I, I've been doing really good with it, Brother Tim. I've been doing really good. And then, then recently, uh, it hit me on a Friday that I hadn't cracked the Bible in that reading. I've, I've read the Bible, but in the reading plan, I had not even done any of it since Monday. So I sat down, and you know what? It took, me, it took me about an hour to get through where I needed to be, 45 minutes, whatever. But you know what? If I just do it every day, it doesn't take that long. It doesn't take that long, and especially if you do it at the beginning of the day, it'll get your day started off so good, so much better than it otherwise would. You ever woke up on the wrong side of the bed? I have. <laughs> it's hard to stay on the wrong side of the bed when you get in the Word of God. You know, I've had to admit in the past I've avoided reading the Word of God because I didn't want to feel better. <laughs> I wanted to stay mad. You ever been there? I got mad that I didn't stay mad. You know, I've been there. I think I've told you all that. But, but if you'll stay in the Word of God, that's a sacrifice. That's a sacrifice. This, this dear, sweet Mary, this dear, precious daughter in Israel, she understood that her service was for Christ was greater riches than the ointment or the box. And by the way, <clears throat> I want you to notice what she was. She, she must have had some kind of theological insights that even Peter and some of the others did not have. You know how many times the Lord Jesus Christ told them he was going to be crucified? Do you know how many times he said, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified? First time they just kind of, you know, look behind his back and like, what is he talking about? Then they, then they finally, one of, at one point Peter said, no, 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 Lord. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. He called Peter Satan because he said, this is why I came. I came. And in Matthew, you'll see oh, over in the book of Matthew, uh, in his account of this very thing, he had just said, I'm going up to Jerusalem and I'm going to be crucified. They obviously did not believe him. They did not believe. He said, I'm going to be crucified, and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. <laughs> We're going to read in this account of his crucifixion, in all the Gospels, all of his disciples forsook him and fled. You know, if, if I mean, think about it. If they really believed that he was going to be crucified and he was going to rise again after three days, shouldn't they have gone off and said, hey, guys, let's go to Disney World for three days, and we'll come back and... Man, we're going to enjoy ourselves because we know he's coming back. We believe it. They could have had a good time. They could have enjoyed, been rejoicing at what happened. Said, we're going to have a party. We're excited because the Lord has died to put away our sins, and he's going to be resurrected in three days. You see, they could have, they could have had peace about that, but they didn't believe it. They didn't even believe it. It was hard for them to believe it when he came back. <laughs> this woman, Mary, must have had some insight here. Notice what Jesus said about it in verse 6. He said, let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me, for ye have the poor with you always. And verse uh, 8 is what I'm looking for. She hath done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. She was anointing him for the burial. He had already told him he's going to be crucified and why do you think she's bringing this ointment at this particular time? 
He had said it openly to them, we're told in Matthew's account of this. I don't know exactly what happened. I like to, I like to think about it. I like to put, you know, we, we live in a visual day, right? We live in a day when we like to watch movies and we like to see things acted out. I read, you know, The Lord of the Rings is a great, a great book, one of the best ever written. Uh, but boy, those three films that put it, brought it to life were three of the greatest films ever as well. It, may, it put new perspective on it for me to just watch those movies, you know, having read the book two or three times, I was able to watch the movies and enjoy it. Well, see, all right, think about what's happening here as a movie. I don't know what happened, but do you suppose that Mary heard Jesus say, hey, I'm going in two days, and I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be crucified. Can you just see Mary who's sitting there at his feet? She's the one, Martha's cumbered with much serving. Mary's sitting there listening to him. Can you see the, the light go on in her, in her head? Say, you know, that, that box, that beautiful box that we have, full of that expensive ointment. I don't know, was she going to use it to, to buy her way out of poverty? Was she going to use, I don't know what the plan was. I finally found a use for it. He says, I believe him. I know he's telling me the truth. I love him. He's telling me the truth. He's done so much for me. I'm going to go get that box, and I don't care what happens. I don't care if I don't have any of it left. I'm going to break it, on his, and I'm going to pour it on his head. And, 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 and no doubt, I, we don't read it particularly about this, but Mary was a crier. <laughs> Mary was a crier. We've already seen where she wept. You know, he, he had raised her brother back to life. And I can just see that dear sweet sister on her knees with her hair down around his feet as she was anointing his feet for the burial. She said, he says he's going to die. Everything he's ever told me has been true. I'm going to anoint him as I would someone who has died. Notice her sacrifice and her service. This was a burial anointing. Jesus says to her, she hath wrought a good work on me. And then he says something kind of strange. If you read the book of Luke, there's a great focus in the gospel of Luke on the poor and taking care of the poor. If you read throughout the Word of God, and particularly the Gospels, you read that Jesus is focused his disciples on serving one another and not just giving lip service to the Gospel, but giving feet to it. Getting out there where the rubber meets the road and, and doing what you need, not just saying you love somebody, but showing them you love it, each other, you love them. He told them about the, uh, the Good Samaritan who who changed his position. He was, he was going in a direction, and he had things to do. He had places to be. But, you know, the Levite wasn't willing to change his plans. Neither was the other priest. But the Samaritan was willing to stop what he was doing to inconvenience himself and to go take care of this brother who was hurting, who he didn't know. But yet he took care of him and treated him like a neighbor. It's important that we take care of the poor. It's important that we focus on one another. But you know what's more important? 
We read about it and preached about it in the 12th chapter of Mark when it says back over there in Mark chapter 12, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second commandment is love thy neighbor as thyself. In other words, you have a duty first of all and primarily to love God. Now we show that by loving one another. But what he's saying here is this. You've always got the poor with you. He didn't say neglect the poor. He said you can, uh, whensoever you will, you may do them good. You can always do them good. But beloved, you say, I don't, I don't mean there's not occasions when you might want to miss, a, you might have to miss a church service to help somebody. I'm not saying there's not occasions when you might not be able to be in the house of the Lord and to worship Him as He's commanded us to do because you have to help somebody else but beloved I'll tell you this it shouldn't be a constant thing there's always time you can always whensoever you will during the week you know you can help other other uh, your friends and your neighbors and those in need but beloved there's a time set for the worship of God and there's a focus we should have even in serving others and that day they had Jesus there in today's world it's Okay, well, I'm going to be given to charity. I'm going to be charitable in my giving. I may work for a charity. Therefore, I don't really have to go to the house of God to worship. Or I don't have to be affiliated with a church. Even though we said to, I'm going to do good over here. Beloved, the primary duty that we have is to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our strength, and with all of our might. You see, that's our focus. He didn't say don't take care of the poor. He said just remember you've always got them. But I'm here now demanding this of you. Same thing in our lives, beloved. Our service to the poor is not an end in itself. Our service to the poor and to those in need emanates from our love for God. And our service to others ought to be because of the love he has for us. Mary got this. Mary got this. Mary saw this. She understood this. She knew she wasn't neglecting her service. She wasn't not helping Martha. But you notice this time Martha didn't say anything to her. (laughs) The first time Martha did and Jesus set her straight and said, Listen, it's more important that that you be listening to me sitting at my feet. And here, Mary was again choosing that good part. So let's look at a little epilogue here to this account as we, as we conclude. So what happens after this? Well, in verses 10 and 11, remember it was Judas who said, why in the world are you letting her waste this ointment? See, Judas never got it. Judas never got it. Judas always thought the Messiah was going to be some uh, conquering king who would come in and overthrow the Roman government. And we, we read about Judas in a minute. We'll see how that his, his focus was, well, i just look at it now. Notice that in John chapter 12 and verse 6, that when he asked the question, why was not this ointment sold? given to the poor he says in verse 6 he said this not that he cared for the poor but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear what was put therein in other words Judas I believe saw some potential for personal advancement 
in attaching himself to the Savior. Because he didn't see him as a Savior. He didn't think he needed a Savior. I believe, and I'm going to read to you in a minute, I don't believe Judas was a child of God. I know there's, a, I know there's controversy over, or not controversy, there's differing opinions over that. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm not going to ever uh, 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 dig in on something like that where there's differing opinions. But I believe the reason for that, I'll read it in a minute. But, uh, uh, but Judas had this idea that the Messiah was going to benefit him somehow. That he was going to come in maybe and conquer the Romans and maybe Judas could be his prime minister. He could be his treasurer because he'd been the treasurer here. And notice though that it says in, in verse 10, I believe this was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas. He, he, he'd been seeing that this wasn't turning out like he thought it was going to be and now he lets this woman throw away one year's wages, on, pour it out onto the ground so to speak and lose the opportunity to benefit from it. And so here he goes, verse 10. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money and he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Over in Luke, the 22nd chapter, Luke doesn't tell us the story about the alabaster box of ointment. But what Luke does tell us is what happened immediately after that. It's also what we just read here. In chapter 22 and verse 3, it says, Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being, being of the number of the twelve. Satan entered into him. So I believe that means what it says. I don't believe he was a child of God. But up to that point, I'm not convinced that he was indwelt by Satan. <laughs> but at this point, Satan entered into him and began to direct his actions. And as we keep reading here, it says the first day, back in Mark chapter 14, verse 12, the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples and saith to them, Go ye into the city, and there you shall meet a young man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him. And he goes on to say, Here's where we're going to keep the Passover. You can read it for yourselves. And he'll show you a furnished upper room prepared. And there's where we're going to keep the Passover. And then he they go in to the city in verse 17 in the evening. It says, He cometh with the twelve, and as they did sit and eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Now, that's a pretty bold, brash statement there that, that would really hit them in the face, so to speak. <laughs> and, it's, and it did. It said, They began to be sorrowful and to say unto him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? Which tells me something about them. They understood they were depraved sinners. They didn't say, now Peter's going to do this in a minute, but they didn't say at this point, no, not me. No, Lord, not me. They said, Lord, is it me? Is it me? Anytime you get to the point, and we'll talk about this maybe next time, anytime you get to the point where you're so prideful and you say, well, Lord, you can count on me. <laughs> you ever said that? You know what happened to me usually when I say, oh, Lord, you can count on me. It's not half a day before I'm doing something that I'm ashamed of. We're going to see that with Peter here. But they said, Lord, is it I? And he answered and said unto them, It is one of the twelve that dippeth with me in the dish. We read elsewhere that Judas Iscariot dipped his bread in the dish. And he said, Is it I? And the Lord said, You said so. Thou hast said. In other words, it's like you said. But notice this. The Son of Man indeed goeth as is written of him, but woe 
to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. That's why I believe Judas wasn't a child of God. Because you can't say that about a child of God. It doesn't matter what condition a child of God gets in. It doesn't matter where the child of God ends up in life. It doesn't matter how sick he gets or how broken down he gets. It doesn't matter how sinful he gets. Although we ought not to be sinful. <laughs> when that child of God dies, it's better for him than it could ever have been if he hadn't been born. But I'll tell you, beloved, when, when one goes to hell, when one goes to hell, it would have been better for that person to have never been born. So, you see, the little epilogue here is that we're leading, we're getting closer and closer to Calvary. We're getting closer and closer. The next thing that happens is he institutes the first New Testament church service in the Lord's Supper, which we talked about last Sunday. But the last thing I want to leave you with tonight is this. Going back a little further into the account, notice in verse 9 of Mark chapter 14, and you find this elsewhere as well in Matthew. He said, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. There's not many times in my life that I feel like I've been fulfilling prophecy. But I fulfilled prophecy here tonight. I fulfilled what the Lord said would happen and ought to happen, which is that this dear, sweet sister in Israel should be talked about, not because she's so great, but because of what she did, which shows forth the death, the anointing, of the Lord Jesus Christ for his death. This dear, sweet Mary, who clearly had some theological insight, a premonition, if you will, of his upcoming death, Mary anointed him because she understood that this was going to be the culmination of his earthly ministry. You remember this past weekend, as we bring this to a close, you remember this past weekend, the whole focus of Brother David's messages was the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Saturday, we talked about, he talked about the fact that at 12 years old, 12 years old as a little boy, Jesus knew that he was supposed to be about his father's business. He didn't go into this thing blindly. In Gethsemane, he sweated, as it were, great drops of blood. He, he, was, he was continually sorry. He was heavy. He was sorrowful unto death. He was astonished there in, Cal in Gethsemane as, as he faced the looming tree of Calvary. You see, Mary got a little glimpse of that. Mary anointed this dear Savior of hers with her sacrifice of the most expensive thing she had. There's been a lot of folks, a lot of people throughout history sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ, but none greater than Mary, who gave up this precious box of ointment, break it, and anointed him for his burial. I'm so thankful that we have this account.
May we be encouraged and inspired by her actions to sacrifice whatever's most special and precious to us in this upcoming week that we might truly serve him. Because you know what? He sacrificed everything for us. He left his throne in glory and he came down here to this graveyard earth to walk the dusty, dirty, sin-cursed road to Calvary bearing the sins of every single one of his children and he completely put them away. What a sacrifice. What an encouragement to us to sacrifice for him. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.